You know, I think one of the great temptations in life is to try to resist God or maybe resist what God is trying to do or what he wants to do in our lives. I think we've all been there. I think we've all done that. And I think there are several reasons that we try to resist God, kind of hold him at arm's length or say no to God. By the way, just the idea of saying no to God, that's, that's a little bit laughable, isn't it? No, God, like, you know, okay, I'll back off, right? Uh, but I think there are several reasons that we try to resist God. Sometimes it's because we just don't want to give up control of our lives. Sometimes it's because we're afraid that God is going to mess with certain areas of our lives. I mean, we may be in a relationship. It's not a healthy relationship. We know God probably doesn't want us uh, to be in that relationship, but we don't want him to mess with the relationship. Or, or maybe we have a habit. It's not a good habit. It's a habit we should give up, but we kind of enjoy the habit. And so we kind of keep God at arm's length because we, we don't want him to mess with what we enjoy. Or, or maybe it's because we just don't want God messing with our finances. But whatever it is, sometimes, you know, we just don't want God to get too close to certain areas of our lives. And I think sometimes we resist God. Uh, just because we're mad at him. I mean, maybe there's something we wanted him to do and he didn't do, or there was somebody that we wanted him to heal and he didn't heal them, or maybe, maybe there was something that, uh, you know, we wanted him to change in our circumstances and he didn't change it. And so we kind of have the attitude, well, he's God. He could have done something. He chose not to, so I'm just mad at him. I'm angry at him. I'm ticked off at him. And maybe that describes you this weekend. I think we all go through that from time to time on our spiritual journey. Well, over the next few weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to look at some individuals who played a key role in the overall story. And these individuals, uh, for their own reason, as you're going to see, and in their own way, they resisted God. They said no to God. And I can promise you in this series, uh, you're going to think this, how dumb can you be? I mean, can't you see what's about to happen? Can't you see what's about to go down but what we're going to discover over the next few weeks as we work our way through these series and we look at this cast of character, characters is there's a little bit of these guys in all of us. And, and we're going to remember and be reminded that we're broken, just like we sang about earlier. We're, we're broken inside. And just like this cast of characters, we need to be fixed. And hopefully we'll learn that as ridiculous as it seemed for these individuals to try and resist God in their circumstances, it's equally ridiculous for us to try to resist God in our circumstances. By the way, as we look at these stories, I think this is what you're going to see. By resisting God, they actually played into the plan of God that they were so desperately trying to stop. In other words, in their attempt to say, God, no, you will not have your way. Guess what happened? God had his way. And I think we're going to walk out of here realizing this. God is in control of life, and his plan will not be stopped. And to resist God is futile. Now, we're going to begin our series by looking at a man named Caiaphas. Let me give you a little bit of background about Caiaphas. Uh, Caiaphas was the most powerful man in Israel at this time in the first century. He was powerful for several reasons. First of all, because of his position. Uh, he was the high priest of Israel. That means that he was the one person, he was the one Jewish person who could once a year go into the innermost part of the temple. He could actually enter into the Holy of Holies. It was the most sacred place on earth because before Jesus Christ died and shed his blood for us, this is where God resided. This is where God dwelt. And so Caiaphas, once a year, was able to go into the Holy of Holies and offer up a sacrifice for forgiveness for the nation of Israel. That means that once a year, he was, he was able to get closer to God than any other person on earth. But not just that. On top of that, he was the president of the Sanhedrin. Uh, they were like the, the lawmakers of the Jews. They were like the Congress. That made him the civil leader of the Jews. 
But he was also powerful because he had been appointed by Rome to represent the Jewish nation to the Roman Empire. He was like the go-between. He was like the peacemaker. In fact, if you study the life of Caiaphas, you will, you will find out that he is the ultimate negotiator. I might add, he was the kind of guy you didn't cross. He was the kind of guy who always got his way because he demanded his way. Maybe you work for someone like that. Maybe you live with someone like that, but that was Caiaphas. Uh, let me just also add this. Unlike most high priests, Caiaphas was able to maintain his position for 18 years. To put that in perspective, the average high priest stayed in the role of high priest about one to two years, maybe if they were really good, three years. But Caiaphas, he's able to hold on for 18 years because of his negotiating ability, because of his power. And you're going to see that he was committed to staying in that place of power regardless of what it cost him. However, he met his match uh, in a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth. His name was Jesus. And Jesus, when he burst onto the scene, uh, he immediately began to gather a following. He would teach and people would follow. He would feed the multitudes and they would follow. He would heal people and they would follow. And every time, if you've read the Gospels, you remember that every time Jesus healed someone, he would say, go show yourself to the Pharisees. So, you know, Caiaphas would be sitting in his home watching TV, minding his own business, and there'd be a knock on his door. And it would be another person who had been healed by Jesus. Maybe it was someone who had been lame their whole life, and now they're walking. Someone who had been blind their whole life, now they can see. Maybe it was someone who had leprosy, but now all of a sudden, they're healed. And the reason that Jesus sent these people to the Pharisees is because it was the job of the Pharisees to identify for the people of Israel who the Messiah was. That means that it was their job to investigate Jesus and his claims and determine, is this guy really the Messiah? And so every day... Caiaphas and his cohorts were reminded that there was a dude walking around Israel claiming to be the Messiah. But as Jesus went more public with his ministry, his followers continued to grow, his influence over the people increased, and all of a sudden, Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, they, they slowly began to feel their power. They slowly began to feel uh, their, their influence over the people beginning to slip beginning to erode. And so they did everything they could to quiet Jesus. They did everything they could to discredit him. But one day, as we're going to see, Jesus pulled off a miracle that no one could ignore. And it forced Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin to consider actions I am confident they never thought that they would consider. By the way, let me just say this. Uh, as we get into this series, understand their problem with Jesus wasn't his theology although that's what they claimed. Uh, even though they had heard the stories and the rumors of this miraculous virgin birth, their problem with Jesus wasn't his ancestry, although that's what they claimed. Their problem with Jesus was this. If he continued to do what he was doing, they were going to lose what they valued the most. They were going to lose their power. They were going to lose their place. They were going to lose their status. They were going to lose their position. So they did what we all do when what we've worked so hard to accomplish, what we've worked so hard to attain begins to slip away. They resorted to the only way they knew to maintain control, and that was to leverage their influence, to leverage their power, to leverage their position for their own selfish ambition. If you have your Bible, and I hope you brought one, turn with me over to John chapter 11, verse 45. Great story. Let me bring you up to speed. Uh, in John chapter 11, Jesus pulls off the ultimate miracle. He raises a man 
named Lazarus from the dead. Now, up to this point, Jesus has preached a lot of sermons. He's fed a lot of people. He's healed a lot of people. But then one day, Jesus gets up, and he kind of crosses the line. He does more than anyone ever imagined he would do. He stood outside of the tomb of a man who had been dead for four days. And he said, hey, Lazarus, get your bad self out here, you know. And after being dead for four days, Lazarus came out. Now understand, when that happened, there were a lot of skeptics, there were a lot of cynics who were hanging around Jesus, kind of watching from the sidelines. But when this happened, they were like, that's it, we're in, we believe. We don't care what the religious leaders have to say about Jesus. We don't care what the Sanhedrin thinks. We saw Lazarus, our friend, who had been dead for four days, come out of the tomb. We saw it with our own eyes. We're with Jesus. We want to be on his team because one day I may want him to do the same thing for me. Forget the Pharisees, right? Now, you got to understand the word of what happened, this miracle, it spread like wildfire. So you get to John chapter 11, verse 45, and it says this. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary, this isn't the mother Mary, this is Mary, who's the sister of Lazarus, and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. I mean, they showed up like, man, you better let us in. We got some bad news. That Jesus guy you guys have been keeping check on, he didn't just heal somebody. He brought somebody back to life, back from the dead. Now notice what it says. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting. Isn't that what we do when we don't know what to do? Well, man, we better have a meeting, right? So they're going to have a meeting of the Sanhedrin. And this is the big question. What are we accomplishing? In other words, this is what they're thinking. This is not going the way we thought it was going to go. We have leveraged our power. We've leveraged our influence. We've done everything we can to shut this guy down, and everything has failed. We've asked him every hard question we could think of, confident that he wouldn't have the answer, but he's always had the answer. We've put him into every tough situation between the rock and the hard place where there was no way out. He always gets out. We tried the whole tax thing. Do you give money to God or do you give money to Caesar? He had an answer for that. We tried him with, hey, there's a woman. She's got a lot of husbands. They all die. Who's going to be her husband in heaven? That didn't work out, right? They're like, we've tried everything to embarrass this guy in front of the people. We're not getting anywhere. What are we accomplishing? And we sit here 2,000 years later and we hear this and you know what we're thinking? Hmm, why didn't they just go with it? Why didn't they just come to the conclusion, well, wait a second, here we have a guy who's pulling off all of these miracles, all of these signs. What's the possibility that maybe he really is the Messiah? Why didn't they come to that conclusion? It's because there was something in them when their world was being threatened. It was something in them when everything they had worked so hard to build was now being tampered with. Suddenly, instead of just going with it, they went into damage control mode. And they began to consider options they never thought that they would consider in order to control the outcome. In fact, notice what it says in verse 47. Here is this man performing many signs if we let him go on like this and I'm telling you that may be the most arrogant statement in the New Testament it was as if Jesus was doing what he was doing because they hadn't decided yet to stop it 
They were allowing it. In other words, understand when we talk about the Sanhedrin, when we talk about Caiaphas, these are people who because of their influence, because of their power, because of their position, they had actually convinced themselves that they could control outcomes. And my guess is there's some of you like that here this weekend or at all of our campuses. You just feel like because of who you are, your influence, your power, your position, your status, at the end of the day, you can manage, you can control the outcomes of life. And so they're thinking the only reason Jesus could do what he was doing was because they just hadn't stopped him yet. But they surely felt that it was certainly within their power to do so. So it says in verse 48, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Now, understand, here's where all of this begins to intersect with our lives. At some point in our lives, if you're here this weekend and you're a Christian, great. If you're not, you may be thinking, now I know why I don't want to be a Christian, okay? Well, let me just tell you this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's going to come a time in our life, I can guarantee you this, you can take this to the bank, where following Jesus is going to cost us something. Something's going to come along in our life and it is going to rock our world. It could be a health issue. It could be a wealth issue. Maybe it has to do with our finances. It could be our career. It could be a relationship. Maybe it's a business that we've built from the ground up and we're so proud. But all of a sudden, one day, we begin to feel that it's slipping away. And as Christians, in that moment, we have to decide, am I going to follow Jesus? Even though things aren't going now the way I thought they were going to go, am I going to follow Jesus? Am I going to trust Jesus? Am I going to stick to his principles, his laws, his precepts? Am I going to do life the right way, the way God wants me to do life? Or am I going to go into damage control mode? Am I going to take matters into my own hands and if need be, abandon my morality, abandon my integrity, abandon my ethics in order to protect what I have worked so hard to accomplish and attain. We're all going to come to that crossroad. That's where these guys are. And notice how their response, what their response is in verse 48. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then, and this is what they feared the most, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. In other words, we've got to stop Jesus. <laughs> Because if he continues doing what he's doing, we've got a lot to lose. We could lose our status. We could lose our place in society. We could, we could lose our tax break. That was a part of being in the Sanhedrin. We could lose our wealth. <clears throat> we could lose our big homes. We got to come up with some plan. What are we going to do? Verse 49. Then one of them named Caiaphas, this, this is our guy, who was high priest that year, he spoke up. You know nothing at all all. In other words, you guys are just stupid. You don't, don't you understand the power we hold? Don't you understand the control that we leverage? Have you forgotten who we are? We are the all-powerful Sanhedrin. I am the high priest. We have all kinds of leverage, all kinds of opportunities to protect what's ours. Look at verse 50. You do not realize that it is better for you, see the Sanhedrin, not the nation. Don't you realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish? And I think that when Caiaphas said that, I think a hush fell over the Sanhedrin. 
I think they were like, die? Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second, Caiaphas. Yeah, we like our status. We like our perks. We like our power. We like our tax breaks. We love our big homes. But Caiaphas, die? You would really go so far as to have an innocent man killed in order to protect our place, in order to protect what we've attained? To which Caiaphas, the ultimate conspirator, responded, of course I would. I mean, what other choice do we have? Do, do you really want to lose everything that we've worked for because of some carpenter from Nazareth of all places? And apparently they responded, no, mm -mm. I guess not, Caiaphas, not, not when you put it like that. So notice verse 53. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. And eventually they had him arrested on trumped-up charges, and they convinced Pilate to crucify him so they, they wouldn't lose what in their mind was theirs to keep, to attain, to hold on to. And you hear this story, and you know what we think? <laughs> Those were some bad dudes, right? Those were some evil, evil men. But I got to tell you, there is a principle buried in this passage. It applies to every one of us sitting here this weekend, everyone sitting in Holly Springs, everyone sitting in West Cary, Morrisville. It applies to every one of us, whether you're a Christian or not. Here's the principle. When you buy into, when you begin to believe, I am who I am because of me. You begin to believe, I got to where I am in life on my own then you've got to understand with that assumption comes the pressure to maintain it all on your own. And I'm telling you, if you live that way too long, eventually when things begin to slip away, eventually when things begin to crumble, eventually when things that you've worked so hard to build begin to erode, you will do whatever it takes to attain, to hold on to, to maintain what you've worked so hard to attain. And i got to tell you, that desire, if it goes long enough, it has the potential to drive you to all kinds of unhealthy extremes. Because if you believe you got where you are in life by your own efforts, you have no other choice but to trust in your own efforts to maintain what you've attained. You see, that's why people will sacrifice their reputation. That's why we hear stories of someone who sacrificed their integrity, they sacrificed their morals to say what they feel is theirs. I mean, they don't have any other choice. You see this all the time in business. By the way, let me just say this. This Thursday, the 27th, we're having a marketplace event here, You at Work. It's a connection event along with breakfast, and they've given me the topic Thursday morning to speak on. It's integrity in the workplace. And if you haven't signed up, you can go online to sign up. It's from 7 to 8.30. You'll be able to connect with a lot of other business people, business leaders in the community throughout the church, and, and I encourage you to check that out. But, you know, you see this all the time in business. You, you see it in, you know, we see it in, in the lives of guys like a Bernie Madoff, who's just a few miles from us sitting in prison, right? Where at some point, I guarantee you, he started to do, thing and, do things and make decisions he never thought he would make. And I'm sure every night he goes to bed, he thinks, how in the world did I ever end up here, right? It's because when it begins to slip, it's amazing what we'll do. Maybe it's not that drastic. Maybe for you, it's, it's a business deal that you've been working on in the economy. It hasn't been that great. 
and it's been kind of lean, and maybe you work off commissions, but you've been working on this deal and working on this deal and working on this deal and working on this deal, and it's about to come together. I mean, this could define your career, your future, your retirement. There's so much at stake. But suddenly at the end, it begins to slip a little bit and fall apart a little bit, begins to begin to crumble, and you're wondering if it's going to happen or not. And you've put so much energy, you've put so much work into making the deal happen, you feel that it's your responsibility to make sure that the deal closes. And all of a sudden, you find yourself doing things that, in fact, impact your integrity, your morals, your ethics. You never in your life thought you would do. I see this all the time in relationships. I've especially seen it and single women who finally got the guy they've worked so hard to get. But before long, things start falling apart. Maybe the relationship heads south, and because they, they felt the pressure to make the relationship work, they also felt the pressure, I've got to maintain the relationship. And I've watched as these women go through all kinds of unhealthy extremes not to lose the guy they work so hard to get. And I've seen them go outside of the boundaries that God established for their life. And I've seen them do things I am sure they never thought they would do in order to protect and control the relationship. And it's because I've worked so hard to get him. This is what they're thinking. I can't let him go. And if this is what I need to do to protect the relationship, then this is what I'm going to do. But you got to understand, you know what happens when we think that way? We end up with, at odds with God when we need him the most. We end up in a wrestling match with God. It's a wrestling match that no one has ever won. And in the end, it just underscores what God has been trying to tell us all along. We don't control outcomes. We don't control anything. God is in control. And at the end of the day, like Job, we're left to accept this. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but I will not abandon the principles of God in order to try and maintain the blessing of God. Let me say that again. As Christians, we have to get to the place where we will determine, I will not abandon the principles of God in order to try and maintain the blessings of God. I believe God gave this relationship to me. I believe God gave this business to me. I believe God gave this opportunity to me. And because I believe that, even when I feel like it's eroding, crumbling, slipping away, I will not abandon the principles of God. In order to try and maintain the blessing of God, I will believe God gives, God takes it away. But at the end of the day, I will not find myself at odds with God even if I lose everything. I mean, imagine if you could take that perspective into every arena of life. Think about it. Next time you have a business deal, what if your attitude was, man, I'm going to do this deal to the best of my ability. I'm going to work this deal to the best of my ability. And if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But I am not going to wake up tomorrow at odds with God. Or what if it's, I have done everything I can to save this relationship, but I am not going to go to unhealthy extremes to make it happen. I'm not going to sacrifice my morality. I'm not going to sacrifice my integrity. I'm not going to sacrifice God's principles, his precepts, and laws to hang on to this person because my goal as a Christian is to wake up every morning at peace with God. And if it works out, great. But my number one responsibility in life is to obey God. I don't control outcomes. I am not responsible for outcomes. That's God's job. I'm just to be obedient. By the way, do you know what the ultimate irony is in the story of Caiaphas? 
He hated Jesus so much. He was so threatened by Jesus that he sacrificed everything he believed religiously to get rid of him. He lied and made up the charges. He was an accessory to death by getting Jesus nailed to the cross. In other words, he broke all of his own laws to make sure he protected himself. But do you know what happened at the end of the story? A few years later, the Romans came and they took away his place in society. They took away his status and there wasn't a thing in the world Caiaphas could do about it. Not only that, in 70 AD, Titus came in with the Roman army and they absolutely destroyed the temple and they made sure that it could never be rebuilt. They took the stones and moved them all over Palestine so it couldn't be put back together. There has been no temple in Jerusalem since that day. And so Caiaphas, in his attempt to stop the will of God, he was actually instrumental in accomplishing the will of God. Because understand, when Jesus died on the cross, there was no longer any need for temple sacrifices. He was the ultimate sacrifice. He died once and for all. And so Caiaphas, in his attempt to control and protect what he thought was his, he put himself out of business by sacrificing the Lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world. And his legacy is the opposite of what he wanted it to be. His legacy is the opposite of what he thought he was going to accomplish. And I'll just tell you, our legacy will be the same because God's plan will not be stopped. It is a juggernaut. It is futile to resist. Now, the good news is this, and you're like, Whoo, thank you, Mike. I need some good news about right now. Here's the good news. If this is all true, and it is, that means you didn't make yourself who you are. That means you're not really responsible and can't take credit for what you've attained and what you've accomplished in life. And so you're not responsible for maintaining your place and position in this world. You know what our responsibility is? It's to be able to go to bed every night and say, if I win, I win. If I lose, I win. Because my responsibility is to be obedient to God and to trust him for the outcome. See, this is what happens. When you do that, when you live your life that way, you position yourself to be blessable. In other words, because you're doing life God's way, obeying his principles, his precepts, his laws, God says, now you're in a place where I can bless you. In other words, there are biblical principles about marriage. If you handle your marriage the way the Bible says, you position yourself to be blessed in your marriage. If you handle your finances the way God says, you, you position yourself so God can bless you in the area of your financing or parenting. This is true in every area of life. But you gotta understand, if you decide, I don't wanna do it God's way, I wanna do it on my own, understand when you do it on your own, you are on your own. You got to understand that. One of the, the toughest things I deal with in life, and I don't, I don't do much counseling because I'm a horrible counselor, but one of, the, one of the things that's tough for me is when someone comes and sits on the couch in my office after they decided to operate outside the parameter, outside the boundaries of God's principles, his truth, his laws, his precepts, they decided to do life their way, but now they're living in the backwash of their decision. And they sit in my office, and they're torn, they're losing, it's all falling apart, and they're like, why? You know? And I'm like, it's because you're an idiot. <laughs> I told you I'm not a great counselor. And I can say that because you remember the story of the prodigal? One of the greatest lines in all the Bible, when he's in the pig pen, when he's lost everything, what did it say? What does it say? When he came to his senses. 
he was temporarily insane. He said, I'm going to operate outside the boundaries of God's law. But when he came to his senses. See, whenever we decide we're going to operate out here instead of in here, you know what we're saying? God, I'm smarter than you. Now, we're going to see this next week as we look at the life of Judas, by the way. And there's some great lessons we can learn from Judas. But this is what you need to understand. You can operate out here as a Christian, and you can come back, and I promise you, God will forgive you. But he will not take away the consequences of your decisions. You just got to remember that. Man, it's like a Baptist church in here. Yeah, amen. It's cool. <laughs> Woo! You know. Somebody let the snakes out. Yeah, I'm just kidding. That's, that's another week. That's another week. I love it. That's like throwing a bone to a dog, you know. So here's my question. Where in life are you sacrificing what you know is right in order to try and control the outcome? Where is it in your life? By the way, when you do that, do you realize what you're saying? You're saying, God... You know what, God, I'm going to handle this one. This situation is too big for you. Yeah, I realize you created the sun, the moon, the stars. You created over 600 different kinds of beetles. There's no two snowflakes alike. I understand that you created 228 distinct and specific muscles just in the head of the caterpillar. God, I know you got it going on. I get all that. But God, this situation, too big for you. You can't handle it. I better take care of it. And right now, some of you are thinking, I would never say that. But you know what? We do that every time we decide, I can't leave this up to God. I've got to take the reins because if I don't, it won't happen. But when we do that, you end up discovering what Caiaphas discovered. We don't control outcomes. God does. And our responsibility is to simply wake up every morning and be obedient. And if we win, we win. And if we lose by culture's estimation and perspective, we win. Because your responsibility is to be obedient to God and to trust him with the outcome. Now next week we're going to look at Judas. And Judas, he was the ultimate manipulator. And uh, he loved to bargain with God. By the way, you ever find yourself bargaining with God? You ever do that? You know? Hey God, if I give up something for Lent, is it okay if I cheat on my taxes? I mean, is that kind of a wash, you know? God, is it okay if I sleep around with this woman at the office as long as I go to church on Sunday? Is that gonna, is that gonna work out okay? God, is it okay if I embezzle as, as long as I tithe off of what I embezzle? I mean, you know? <laughs> we all need this one. By the way, there's a great book out there if you wanna read it. It's a fictional novel. It's by a lady named Tosca Lee. It's entitled Iscariot. I, I, I read it while I was there. It's a novel about have we misunderstood Judas? And I'm not going to, you just need to read it. It'll give you, a, in fact, one of, the, uh, one of the people who wrote the comments on it was from Dallas Theological Seminary. And he said, it will change your perspective on Judas. But you just need to read it if you want to pick up a great, great read. And it got Laura and I to a, a wonderful discussion. Will, will, Judas, will Judas be in heaven? But here's the thing. Next week, what we're going to talk about, we all need because we're going to see God doesn't negotiate. He doesn't bargain. He doesn't barter. He's called us. Live within the circle, and life's going to be good.
I'm going to bless you. And regardless of what's going on, you're going to know I'm right there with you. But you go out here, you're on your own. You're on your own. Let's bow together. Let me ask you the question one more time. Where in your life are you sacrificing what you know is right in order to try and control the outcome? Here's the proper response. God, I am so sorry. I've been operating outside of the boundaries that you've established for me, but I'm coming back in. And God, I will trust you with the outcome of this situation. And God, if it all works out and I win, I win. But God, if it doesn't work out and I lose, I still win because I can wake up tomorrow morning knowing that I'm right where you want me to be because I'm obedient. Father, it takes guts to live this way. Guts that, uh, wow, it's so rare in our culture. We're so consumed about, is it politically correct? Is it right? I know it used to be right, but times have changed. And we're so good at justifying and trying to fit you into our world instead of us fitting into your world. But God, help us to be obedient. Help us to be the people that you've called us to be so that you can do things in our lives that would blow our minds if we would just position ourselves to be blessable right in the center of your will. And God, then we know regardless of what's going on in and around our lives, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because obviously it's your plan for us because we're obedient and we submitted our lives to you. Give us the confidence and the courage to live that way. And Father, I even pray for those right now who are here. They're not followers. They haven't crossed the line. They, they're kicking the tires. They're checking it out. Help them to understand there is, there is tremendous freedom in the security of knowing that we're living within those boundaries that you have established for us. There's not bondage because when we know the truth, it's the truth that will set us free. May we experience that kind of freedom. In your name we pray. Amen.